podcasters are lost in the swirling maze of past and future ages during their latest series of movie reviews. It's the Time Shifters Podcast. We're going to attempt time travel. asking you to do now is to witness a demonstration of the possibility of movement within the fourth dimension. Everyone, welcome back to the Time Shifters podcast, episode two of the Year of the Time Traveler. This is Christopher here with Tom. Tom, how did you, you, you okay? You recovered from the last time trip? Uh, well, you know, the, the, we, we went all the way back to our Thurian days, so I mean, it it's a little bumpy getting back, but I'm all right. Yeah, see, that's the question. Did, did we travel to 1949 to watch a film about Arthurian times, or did we actually travel to Arthurian times? <laughs> I, I think we may have just suffered a bump from on in the head from falling off of a horse. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably more likely. <laughs> Speaking of a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court, I thought I'd mention that the weeks leading up to 2022... I uh, posted some photos where I was considering kind of hints at what the subject of the year was going to be. And the first photo I put up was one I put together of a round table, and behind the round table was the flag of Connecticut and the New York Yankees pendant. Yep. <laughs> and uh, that was that was the first clue. And uh, I think uh, Scott Sachs actually did actually uh, guess right off the bat Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court. Yeah, that's that's my buddy here in town. That was kind of a spot on. I didn't think that one was going to really fool anybody, but I didn't know if they'd really understand what that was going to lead to or not. No, I, and I don't know if that was there, but yeah, you got to admire the fact he na- nailed it with just the the three images that you put on that that one. That was awesome. Now, the uh, next image I posted, I posted a a cropped image of the Omni from the TV show from of Voyagers, the small little uh, magic pocket watch that they used. And uh, I don't think anyone um, mentioned anything on Facebook, but I did get a tweet from one of the mics from um, I Used to Watch This podcast. He's like... It looks like the Omni from Voyagers, but you guys do movies, so I have no idea. So <laughs> <laughs> he was he was too close. <laughs> They've actually covered a couple Voyagers episodes themselves. See, I, I'm kind of looking forward to revisiting those. I remember loving that show so much when I was a kid, and I can't wait to kind of see it again and go. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's actually one of those episodes where I uh, I remember watching it, and I, there are bits and pieces of it that are still living in my mm-hmm. head. The Thomas Edison, where he takes apart the Omni. Yes. I think it was Edison. Yes, yes. No, I remember. Uh, I, I can at least picture the Omni being laid out in pieces, because that, that's your moment of going, oh, how are they going to get back? Right. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, that that will be a fun episode to, to look at. Then I posted one I figured might throw some people off. I posted the uh, an image of the poster for Rocky Horror Picture Show. 
the entire yeah. poster. <laughs> and I was a friend of mine, Sam. She actually asked, "Will we be doing the time warp?" <laughs> so I think she was. I don't know if she was really trying to make a guess or not, but she nailed it. Because <laughs> that's exactly why I put that poster up there. No, we won't be dancing. Although the time warp is very easy to do, especially <laughs> since they tell you how to do it in the song. <laughs> well, well, there is that, but thank God this is just audio. <laughs> <laughs> Another image I threw up, I figured, would be um, someone might get it, someone might not. And I was actually interested how a couple different directions people took. I put a picture of the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. And I believe it was Scott Morris was like, something Trek-related? Oh. <laughs> and someone else, someone else actually commented, I think it might have been, uh, I don't know if it was on Facebook or if it was on Twitter, they suggested time after time, because that takes place in San oh, Francisco. Wow. It's like, oh, interesting. Yeah, not, I didn't thought about that. Not even where you were so going with a, that. No, I was definitely going for the Star Trek uh, 4 connection. San Francisco. I was born there. So I thought, but I thought it was fun that uh, people, again, right up there, we're, we're, we're de- guessing the films. Yep, taking it up to the line. Without, the next image I put up was a cropped portion of an image from, uh, from Time Bandits, which just showed a section of their map. And someone did guess that, like, really quick. They saw that image and went, Time Bandits! <laughs> I didn't think, I didn't think that'd be that uh, obvious, but I guess I was to wrong. the right, folks. There's another one I put up that had a uh, image of a person, like a little figure, and then it was like in the middle of a recycle symbol. My thought was that was a hint of the film "Live, Die, Repeat" with uh, Tom Cruise. Okay. Which I'm pretty sure we're going to be covering at some point this year, despite it being a Tom Cruise movie. Yes. Well, that's the problem. My problem, as I've said before, uh, my problem with Tom Cruise is he still makes, he keeps making movies I enjoy. <laughs> Unfortunately, he's in them. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, it's always reassuring to revisit Maverick, no matter which film he's in. <laughs> he only plays the one character. Oh, he's right. always Maverick from Top Gun. Top Gun. Yeah. Gotcha. You said Maverick. I immediately went to, like, James Garner. <laughs> well, see, that that would be good Maverick versus... Yeah. And, and to those out there that are diehard Top Gun fans, I apologize, but I don't. <laughs> Tom Cruise never stopped being that character after he played that character. No one figured out what that meant, but someone did make a really great suggestion, and uh, Chris Cree commented on Facebook... Suggested Soylent Green. Nice. And I was like, oh, that actually would be a really good symbol for that. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. And also pointing out that, that events in Soylent Green take place in 2022. So, yeah, that would have... That film will be up on a lot of podcasts this year, I'm guessing. Yes. <laughs> and the last image I put up was... It was just kind of a... The last image I was going to put up before I actually revealed the video and the theme... And it was just a picture of the world time zones. Okay. You know, I, I think um, Matt commented on Twitter that he's glommed on that there's things about travel 
on all these images. So he, he was going, he had the travel part right. He didn't figure out the time bit. <laughs> it sounds like everyone got bits and pieces, but may not have stuck all of them together. They, or, or they were great at identifying your clue and its origin, but yes. not what it meant for our overall theme. Exactly, yeah. So there was no one that actually came out and said, time travel, you're talking about time travel movies. <laughs> but but we're talking about time travel movies, folks. We are. It was a fun little exercise, and it was it was fun seeing the, the, the few comments we got. It was fun to see what people came up with, and it was a lot of fun when it came out of left field like the Soylent Green. Yeah. <laughs> that like, that hmm. was clever. <laughs> But yes, I did finally reveal, and the, the, the video I put together, which I was very proud of and very happy to uh, release, and I was kind of... I, I, I shouldn't have finished it as soon as I did, <laughs> because... You, you were chomping I, at the bit to get that out there from the time you got it together. Yeah, I finally uh, released it and announced it on the 30th, even though the 31st would have been the better day. <laughs> Yeah, well... Just couldn't wait anymore. As someone in the know, yes, you were super excited about that. <laughs> and it did. It turned out very good. Yes, and uh, I got at least one person. Rich Chamberlain actually commented and thought the video was really nice, so thank you, Rich, for saying so. <laughs> he worked really hard. Yes, thank you for saying something. <laughs> <laughs> yes, glad somebody did. <laughs> I feel like that uh, that me have you seen the meme of like the little uh oh what is it like the little weasel or something holding a little toy guitar and it's like when you have something when you show something to somebody you think is really cool and they go oh that's nice <laughs> <laughs> well here uh, you, you got to remember we live in the world of the internet you didn't get trashed so that means it was awesome <laughs> That's right. No, yeah, no one said what a stupid video. Right. So there you go. Uh, if no one came back with negative, then it must have been fantastic. Uh, that's all I really had to uh, talk about at the top of the show. I mean, there has been uh, some entertainment news or anything, nothing that really fits the theme. So I didn't know if you wanted to talk outside the theme. I don't think we have anything specific that we need to get into. Not that we can't occasionally operate outside of a theme, especially if it's big enough. But yeah, I didn't see anything out there that's uh, that's truly pressing. All right, fair enough. Well, let's go ahead and take a break then. And when we come back, we are going to talk about what may be one of the quintessential movies for this theme. And that's 1960's The Time Machine. We better do an advert, didn't we, really? So we're the Who Can Convince You podcast. Do you want to be here? Hi, I'm Harry. I'm Luke. And welcome to the Who Can Convince You podcast. Ooh. <laughs> oh, I've got a tea for you. 
why should people listen to us? Uh, when we initially started, it was about us, uh, us to convince each other that our episodes are better, but... Uh, That's out of the window now. We do old Who stories and new Who stories reviews each week. Uh, I'm sick of those sunglasses. Right. I'm sick of the browser history joke. Who's script editing this? I Honestly, I think it's one of my favourite just Christmas-themed episodes mm. of any series. I'm going to go green, green, green. That's one reason. Give them another reason. Songs. Uh, you do songs. I write songs. Why'd you like wasabi? I'll just leave that with you, Chibnall. General Chit Chat. He's a good lad. Aye, aye, sir. I would like to just mention heater resistor motors. You can find us on all your podcast catchers. Search Doctor Who, Who Can Convince You podcast. podcast. Or find us on Twitter at Who Can Convince. Such stories as H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds and Jules Verne's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea have challenged mankind. So today, man is successfully probing deep into the mysteries of the universe. Can he penetrate the greatest mystery of all, time itself? of George Pell and the fabulous production know-how of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer to catapult you through time into a world that is yet to be. Why is it that we usually ignore the fourth dimension? You, you see, we can move in the other three. As the doctor said, up, down, forwards, backwards, sideways. But when it comes to time, we are prisoners. Inventor Rod Taylor's breakthrough into the realm of the fourth dimension is defied by his friend Alan Young. If that machine can do what you say it can... Destroy it, George, before it destroys you. Every moment is a year, hurtling through the atomic wars of the future on an incredible excursion into the unknown. What are the people like? Ah, the shape of things to come. It's lovely Yvette Mimieux. And what happens when boy meets girl thousands of years hence? How do they wear their hair? Who? The women of your time. Up like that. Show me. Is this the human race of the future? Or is this the Morlocks, fiendish creatures who live in a weird underground world? And the Eloi, the tranquil sunshine people, who the Morlocks dominate and maintain like cattle, luring them below with the hypnotic wail of the sirens to feed upon them in cannibalistic horror. Time Machine from 1960 is a MGM film. It was produced and directed by George Powell and starred Rod Taylor, Yvette Mimo, and Alan Young. It was an Academy Award winner for its visual effects. George, an inventor, tiring of the world around him, builds a time machine to use to escape into the future. After demonstrating his scale model of his invention to a group of friends, he sets out on his journey. After making stops in 1917, where he meets his friend David Philby's son, who tells him of his good friend's death in the war, and then going on to 1940, during the Blitz of World War II, 
And finally, 1966, where he finds himself in yet another war, this time atomic. He barely escapes an atomic blast by traveling forward in time, but the attack sparks a volcanic eruption that that only his movement in time saves him from. He finds himself entombed in rock until it finally erodes away in the year 802701. There he meets the race of people called the Eloi, who seem to live a life of play and leisure. When an Eloi woman, Weena, and his machine are taken by another race of creatures, the Morlocks, George discovers that the Eloi's idyllic life comes at a heavy and ghastly cost. This is the film where I debated making it the first film we talk about. Yeah. But again, like I was saying, I was thinking we were going to do a lot of these things kind of in the year of their release. And there was a, a film or two in between uh, King Arthur's court and the time machine that I thought we would cover. But yeah, this is, you can't talk about time travel without talking about this film. This is a, this is a movie that you feel like this set the guardrails on what time travel is. Yeah, because if you're going to have a device move you through time, here is your template for how you do this going forward. You can play around with the theme and all that, but essentially this is the idea. You have you have your MacGuffin device that can do what you say it can do. It takes you to where you want to go, and then you experience the adventure that you have in that. This sets that. Back to the Future is just this movie retailored. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Throw in a DeLorean instead of the Victorian sled. Right, yes. and, uh, and interestingly enough, uh, uh, and... I'll admit I'm a little fuzzy on my H.G. Wells, uh, um, so I don't. I, I know this doesn't parallel it exactly, but the notion that in this one, all time travel is just forward, not back. I like that. In this film, it it gets out of the way of the possibility of paradox because we're only dealing with his timeline forward, so. He isn't doing anything that will possibly impact him getting to making a time machine. He's only going forward. Right. And as far as the story goes, he effectively just wants to go forward. Right. He doesn't have any interest in going back in time because he, his machine will travel both it directions. It will because uh, obviously he has to get back in time to retell his story. <laughs> but I like that. He can essentially, he sets a point in time that he can't change, that he's not going to try to change, or that he's not even going to by accident change because he's only interested from then forward. He gives his reasons why he only wants to go Mm -hmm. forward, but in doing so, they immediately escape one of the things that can really drive you crazy in a time uh, travel movie, which is... What happens if you do stuff differently? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, and I like the fact that they got that out of the way and they explained it in his discussion with his friends. Uh, his one friend uh, asked, he was like, well, if you start going back in time and hanging out with the Egyptians or whatever, aren't you going to kind of ruin things for the rest of us? Right. <laughs> and that's and that's when George says, well, I don't have much interest in the past. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about going into the future. 
that issue that yeah you're right that's out of the way right. now yeah no uh, they they addressed it they, they they mentioned it could be a thing but they didn't have to get into the mechanics of what would happen so didn't matter what he did from here on out he's doing it somewhere down the road that doesn't impact this timeline so mm-hmm. it was it, that was a nice little okay we put a pin in this and we don't have to worry about the ramifications of that that was awesome tell you something else that this film does that very few other films do is is it acknowledges that the world that you that the time traveler leaves behind goes on almost every other film you follow the events of the time traveler exclusively and there's never any repercussions about the fact that this person just disappeared off the face of the Mm -hmm. planet in his time in this one, there are several kind of callbacks to, oh, yeah, no, the, the person that lived in that house across the street, you know, and his, his friend, uh, my, my father thought he might come back someday, so wouldn't sell the house, and the house is now in ruins. Mm-hmm. And, and later on, there's a park with a little uh, a, a sundial dedicated to, to him, and the world went on without him. They didn't know what happened right. to him. You know, he just went missing, and I'm like, that's really it was cool. A nice, yeah. No, they 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 actually built that in. They, they again. This is where I, I'd have to brush up on my HG Wells to see how much, if any, of that parallels uh, exactly. But uh, but yeah, I mean, you got to give the filmmaker credit for uh, making sure that, that was part of what made made it into there. Uh, it's one of those touches that if. As we go through this year, talking about time travel as as the methodology for telling a story is such a delicate thing that where if you can get it if you get it wrong, it will feel it's turbulence in the film. It will make you go, wait, no, I don't like that, and (laughs) this doesn't have that. uh, the other thing that I think it does effectively, uh, which you wouldn't have suspected for a 1960s time travel movie, is the notion, if you have such a thing, a, a, a time machine, and it travels through time, but does not change its point on the planet during that, as long as it keeps moving, you can't touch it. Because mm-hmm. it exists in a different dimension at that stage. Where did it go? Go? Nowhere in the usual sense. It's still here. But, but, but it's no longer in the present. Do you realize? It's traveling through time. To the future, to be exact. Do you really expect us to believe such a story? Will you, will you just... Well, certainly. But you yourself just said that it hadn't really moved. That's correct. Well, then why can't we see it? Because we're in this room on the 31st of December, 1899, but the model we just saw is perhaps a a hundred years away by now. This room, even this whole house, may not be here in a hundred years. But the time machine occupies the same same space that it did a moment before it went off on its journey. Well, if it's occupying the same space, well, why can't I feel it? You must remember that the space you're putting your hand through is today's space. You, You can't put your hand into the space of tomorrow. The space is space. It doesn't change. The same space that's here now should be here in a hundred or even a thousand years. No, Philip. Time changes space. Whether or not that's right, it feels right. It it, it feels yes. like it. And I even kind of enjoyed 
uh, as he goes through time and he gets to that spot where um, we screwed it all up, we have our nuclear war, and uh, and it sets off volcanic activity and it buries him. But he's in a bubble uh, because the machine's moving through time. But mm-hmm. if he's not moving quick enough... He, He's also feeling the residual heat and or cold that it, that yes. is occurring in that time period as he travels through it. Just because it it is there, the temperature or whatever is still entering his little bubble because it's not clear he's in a bubble. They don't show a bubble, so right. But at any rate, I love those little attentions, the details. Are like if you're gonna do it, they made me believe it. <laughs> yes, exactly. They they asked you to believe something in this movie and then gave you good reasons to do so. It, and this goes along with everything I have ever said about anything in fiction. Establish your rules. Uh, I will believe whatever you tell me. Establish your rules and stick to them. This mm-hmm. one established its rules for what will happen in time travel and then stuck to them. And it made it an enjoyable experience. I liked it. (laughs) I think it was really interesting that they gave him the perspective. Like you were just, you were saying, you know, he could feel the heat and the cold. He could, but the fact that he could just see what was going on around him as he was sitting and traveling through Mm -hmm. time. That was a really nice touch. And that's where the the visual effects team could really shine in this film. Uh, George Powell had a long history with um, uh, stop motion and and animations, and so yeah, he definitely wanted to you know showcase them here in this in this film as well. And oh my gosh, such a fantastic job in this! The the snail, the flower, um, even even the uh, e- even easier to produce mannequin across the street <laughs> as it goes through all its different fashions. It's it's such a nice touch doing that and then the the sun and the moon passing overhead it's a a testament to how well that mannequin was built and and apparently (laughs) the shop owner uh, never changing any other style in the window other than what was on the mannequin (laughs) yep just that single mannequin never never changes the uh, window dressing at all just a a mannequin yeah that little that little screen that the the thing uh, that the mannequin is standing next to that never changed i (laughs) like yeah no one will ever move that (laughs) philby was faithful but perhaps cheap (laughs) (laughs) quite (laughs) now now while on the topic of just how the machine moved and, and and the the great effects like uh we didn't even touch on uh aside from the mannequin and all that that they had an excellent sequence toward the end where um he needs to escape the morlock that's trying to kill him and knocks him off gets in the machine starts to move forward through time and actually watches the morlock decay in place that was very cool Mm-hmm. But while on the mechanics of how they 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 established their rules and then stuck with it, and then I even love that Philby picked up on it at the end and explains it to the audience in case they didn't catch it, because I think I think they themselves were very proud that they did work this in. I think I understand. 
You see the imprint? This is where the time machine originally stood. But the Moorlocks moved it. They dragged it across the lawn, right into the Sphinx, right there. And Weena was standing here when he last saw her, right here, the same space in a different time. So he dragged his heavy machine back in here, scratching the floor so that he could appear outside the Sphinx again and help the Eloi build a new world. Build a new world for himself. Right where he left her. And like, yes. again, that's such a nice little <laughs> detail that they made sure that they dug that in. I just want to know what the hell mm-hmm. he built the time machine out of because for something that was that clearly that sophisticated, could move through time, it was super light. <laughs> Well, except that it left actual gouges in his tile well, floor. It, 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 it did do that, but I mean, he was able to turn it upright when it fell over once. That's true. And he was able to drag it himself. So, not the heaviest thing in the world. And while we're on the subject of the time machine, I think we have to talk about, I mean, that is as much a star of this film oh, as Rod or Yvette or Alan or anyone one of the greatest movie props that has ever been created is that time machine. You could have not seen this movie and you probably still would recognize that as the time machine. I mean, it's iconic and it is absolutely gorgeous. Yes, no, it, it is a beautiful piece of prop work. Um, I understood uh, at least... While it might not have moved through time, it did everything that you saw it do on screen. So the the, the back, <laughs> the lights flat, uh, flickering, the uh, the dial moving in the back, uh, it, it did all that. In fact, actually, um, for those that may have ever watched Big Bang Theory, it made an appearance in one of those episodes because. The, the the gentleman in the in the show managed to win the actual prop <laughs> and, <laughs> and had to live with it in their apartment for a period of time. But again, that's how iconic it is. It, it, it is it is what fifty years later, and, and this this is still showing up, and people know exactly what it is when you see it. I guess you never create these things and think, oh, this is going to be something that's going to be like. A really important thing so it was built it was used in the film and then it was unceremoniously kind of just stuck in the back of some mgm warehouse for a right. while and eventually i think it just got auctioned off ended up in private hands and it just sort of disappeared for a mm-hmm. while and when it was finally found i think if i'm not mistaken i think it was found at like in like a little like museum slash gas station yeah. And the uh, the controls were missing, and I think maybe the chair was gone. So it was just kind of the base and some of the scroll bar, scrolling brass bars, and the and the uh, big dish in the back. Um, it ended up back in hands of someone that restored it, rebuilt the control panel and everything, and now is I think in actual safe hands, if not in an actual museum somewhere. But this the fact that that this incredible prop this. St- iconic 
thing from this iconic movie mm. was treated like the chair that was sitting in the corner. <laughs> you know? Well, it, everything is perspective in time, no, no less. Uh, I mean, if it's this movie came out in the night in 1960, 1961. This movie might have done well, but it people moved on. They did. I mean, right. It was like, okay, well, that was cool. Uh, but they don't expect it to be the thing that goes on forever and ever and ever. No. Not at the time. Nope. No sequel? Uh, I'll just stick it back in the corner. Uh, the front of the furniture, yeah, we can use again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that that is the thing you don't think about is when they're, they're making the props and you've got you know, his lab, his his sitting room and all that stuff and everything, all that stuff can be reused. And it was probably, you could probably find that in dozens of films that MGM produced, as well as other uh, studios, because a lot of that stuff was like rented out of some prop house, probably. Um, the Time Machine, though, was built exclusively for this film. And if you're not going to do a sequel or you're not going to do another time machine movie, what do you do with it? You just, you, it takes up space. So you get rid of it. And it's so bizarre for us to think about because we look at it and think, well, but that's the time right. machine. <laughs> but back in 1960 and 1961 or whenever they got rid of it, it was just that thing collecting dust in the corner of a warehouse. Right. Yeah. Cause uh, they, they don't have a, they don't have a sense of, um, Scope and time. Now, the real true crime, because this would have been like one of the most sought after uh, movie memorabilia items, is the scale model. If I remember correctly, I think that actually ended up in the hands of George Powell. Did it? Who had it? Yeah, who had it in his uh, in his house in his office, and it was lost in a fire. Oh, how terrible! <laughs> yes. Isn't that awful? That yeah, honestly, because uh, yeah, that that would be truly an amazing thing to to have. One, I mean, it it was a very excellent represent. It was down to every lead detail uh, of the the full size one. And I wanted to talk about the model, anyways, because okay, okay, you have you have our inventor here. And, and he's certain that that he has figured out how to not only travel through time, but the apparatus that will get him there. To the point that he makes he makes a scale model that is smaller than a bread box, <laughs> but is a hundred percent fully functional. But he <laughs> he, the, he I, you gotta love the time machine in and of itself because. It, it's a stick shift. Uh, <laughs> there, there's no set a date and go to it. it. It is literally you push forward, you push back. <laughs> that, that that's it. So the fact that he went through all the trouble to make a scale model that will do everything the full size one will, just so that he can push it forward and never see it again. <laughs> I think he even points that out, right. that uh, he wanted people there to witness it because he can only do this experiment once. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and to their their point, I'm like, well, you made a toy disappear. I'm like, I've seen that before. I can't right. explain how you did it. But 
doesn't prove anything. <laughs> like, so, no, I, I always pictured there another version uh, of uh, of the movie where um, where they go back and tell more of the story after he decides to go back in time, and at some point his little model runs out of juice and it lands right next to him in, in the future. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like where I left that. <laughs> yeah, that's where I was wondering. I mean, if he was going faster maybe than the model, could he have been traveling and like look over and go, oh, look at that. <laughs> Problem is, is it was uh, yeah, a couple is. rooms over, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Might have been hard. It'd be uh, pretty hard to see. <laughs> but yeah, no, I envision like a slightly alternate version where where it's totally a joke that he, <laughs> he catches up with his model or something. <laughs> After all, we have no idea what powers this thing or h- how he fuels it or whatever. So, in the original novel, I believe it was crystals. Sure. <laughs> well, and that was the point of the his crystal key. Right. Yeah, the actual lever that he used had a large crystal knob uh, on on the end of it, like a big yeah, knob on the, the top. And the thing doesn't yeah. work without it. So. Yes. Yeah, so. Yeah, the description in the original novel, I believe it was crystals, and it, the machine was described as, as a mixture of brass and lenses. Mm. So, actually, the time machine in the 04 remake is probably a little closer to how one might envision the time machine from the novel. Yeah. I did actually manage to find a review from 1960. Uh, okay, yeah, let's see what someone else had to say Well, about see, it. that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> so this review is actually from the New York Times uh, uh, from August 18th, 1960. However, uh, our reviewer in here, reviews must have been different <laughs> back okay. in the day. This is essentially, uh, actually, today, the, the, the person that wrote this... Uh, should have been shot because <laughs> it's essentially a full-on synopsis complete retelling including telling the end wow uh, yeah so as i read through this i'm like okay there's they're, they're not actually reviewing anything so much as just giving away the whole movie because <laughs> the the closest part to the review is uh at the beginning it goes a somewhat happier view of the future than H.G. Wells was moved to provide in his now classic science fiction thriller from 1895, The Time Machine, is limbed in the movie version of it, which opened at Warner yesterday. That's the end of the actual review. The rest is just a full synopsis. Wow. In, in, including a part that we will get to, the the I can't think of any other movie where it left you with a question. Well, that's before you get I, I to the question. I don't want to get to that yet, yeah. Look, okay. I'm yeah. just saying they give that up in the review. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm like, wow, you you don't want anybody to go to see this movie. <laughs> Yeah, there's a few movie theaters there that are going, well, I was hoping for somebody's quarter, but <laughs> since you gave away the entire film... Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. just... Yeah. 
So, like, what? I am already doing a better job of not giving up the ending than this did. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a movie that was made over 60 years ago at this point. <laughs> well, while you're talking about reviews and criticisms... Yes. There are some. I do have some. As much as I love this film, right. I do have some criticisms of this film. Do tell. L- largely placed in the lap of how the character of Weena is treated. Yeah. There's a scene, and this is so very 1960s of them. George and Weena are sitting by the fire... They're having their moment. They're talking. And she turns to him and says, how do the women wear their hair in your time? What? The, this from a... <laughs> Why would a woman in 802-701 give a flip about how women wear their hair? Uh, well, and... Yeah, it, it's a, a 19... I guess they're stretching in the 1960s they're just it seemed like a thing to say uh but i mean it's completely out of character this is the same woman who when we are introduced to her she is drowning in a river with everybody looking on and doing nothing Mm -hmm. who after being saved is completely detached from the moment unto itself anyway doesn't care that she's been saved. Doesn't care that nobody else tried to save her other than this guy. So for us to go from that, and granted, some things have happened along the way, but not enough for her to go, am I pretty? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, this is a society that they they know nothing other than, than apparently to eat, sleep, and play. Right. They're children. That's their society. They're children, and they're not even—they're not even conscious enough to like criticize one another. There is no, there is no malicious thought because there is no thought at all. You even wonder. I mean, the society that they portray. You even wonder how it continues because you can't even imagine these people figuring out how. To procreate, right? They're, yeah, they're they're com- they're almost too detached from from reality of anything. Like yeah. they hang out as a group, and you hear when they have group work, there is there's chatter. But then when they actually, when you're actually in the group, like there there's there's supposed to be the scene. George is trying to interact with them. Nobody's interacting with one another. But when they're up and moving, mm-hmm. it's it, rhubarb, 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 rhubarb. Yes. Uh, but, but, but you don't actually ever see the Eloy the, the interacting with one another. So it's a little fuzzy on how the dynamic is actually supposed to work that they can even be cattle. Because, like you said, they won't interact in a normal way in any way how do you get around the sex <laughs> maybe the morlocks do more than just eat them <laughs> i don't know well they're the ones with the machines maybe there's a little breeding mm-hmm. involved <laughs> mm-hmm. that was the last time i watched this film that scene just really jumped yeah. out at me and it just uh it, 
out of out of what otherwise I would call a near perfect film for, for the time, that just really just ugh, it just it was a it was a gut punch. Aside from the rampant sexism of that particular moment, uh, it, it just it sits too far outside of what they established already. Strangely enough, though, that is about the only true criticism I have of this film. I love everything. I could give you tons of reasons why I love this film. That's the only thing that I could come up with with, well, there's this. I guess if you push come to shove, the Morlocks look like guys in fat suits. They do, but I mean, you got to give them a little credit too for the uh, the whole. Uh, after they decided that there's this division uh, between uh, the peoples, the ones that stay above ground and the ones that go below, while we're still in the era of working in dark, doesn't go well. So everything looks well lit, even when it's supposed to be dark. So yes. So it gets a little sketchy from time to time when he's uh, when he's trying to put a bright light on on them because it's not clear that it's bright. <laughs> yeah, it's just only a little brighter than the rest of right. the room. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's hard to get that effect, but I get it. The. Uh, well, I don't think it's so much that it was bright. I think it was the fact that it was a flame, and apparently the Morlocks are combustible. Because <laughs> the one that catches fire and then runs into the room and apparently explodes. <laughs> well, they are a little overweight. Um, apparently, E-Lawyer fattening. Uh, and, and there is all that hair that's more like a wick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, since it grows long on their arms too. The Morlocks specialize in methane production, if you know what I mean. Yes. <laughs> well, they, they've got some gas that they're harvesting down there. <laughs> as long as you can forgive a couple of the contrivances there, and just the way that it pulls off, because of there, there's still some lack of technology. I mean, it is a very sophisticated film for 1960, considering how much special effect work has to go into it. But, yeah, uh, it, is a, it is a pretty good film. It, it's hard to really slight it on too much. I remember reading um, a more current review sure. uh, where they didn't absolutely synopsize <laughs> the film. And they complained about having to get the exposition that we get with the talking rings. I actually think that's one of the highlights of the film for me. I really like that moment. First of all, it's a really easy, inexpensive, and creative way to explain what's going right. on to an audience. Um, the, the very idea that the whole the spinning ring and then the light follows where the ring goes and it while it's spinning it talks it's not a really good system I'm guessing it's a novelty system that was in this museum or something it's but still I, I just really like that voiced by the great Paul Fries a voice actor of incredible fame uh, uncredited but it was his voice the war between the East and West, which is now in its 326th year, has at last come to an end. There is nothing left to fight with and few of us left to fight. 
The atmosphere has become so polluted with deadly germs that it can no longer be breathed. There is no place on this planet that is immune. The last surviving factory for the manufacture of oxygen has been destroyed. Stockpiles are rapidly diminishing. And when they are gone, we must die. My name is of no consequence. The important thing you should know is that I am the last who remembers how each of us, man and woman, made his own decision. Some chose to take refuge in the great caverns and find a new way of life far below the Earth's surface. The rest of us decided to take our chances in the sunlight. Small as those chances might be. From the talking rings, I learned how the human race divided itself and how the world of the Eloi and the Morlocks began. By some awful quirk of fate, the Morlocks had become the masters and the Eloi their servants. The Morlocks maintained them and bred them like, like cattle, only to take them below when they reached maturity. Since this is uh, clearly from a, from a museum, a, a, as you pointed out, I, I liken it to uh, the children's interactive stuff in any museum. Yeah, there, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is an opportunity make, to... Make learning yeah, fun. Th this is yeah. an opportunity to learn your history while interacting with the display. It's just mm -hmm. a way to do it. That's a great idea. I, I like that a lot. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, th that's why that didn't detract in any way for me. Uh, I mean, the topic matter's a little heavy for, for possibly... <laughs> Possibly, uh, uh, yes. Spinning rings for children to play with while they learn their history lessons, but because that's some pretty harsh history. <laughs> <laughs> right down to the recording of people dying. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, we mentioned some of the uh, visual effects earlier, but while we're on the subject of the museum and everything, when uh, George is interacting with the Eloy, and he talks about books. And they're like, oh, books? We've, we have right. books. And they show him the books. Again, I don't know how they did it, but it is such an effective and awesome little effect when you got the whole roll of books there and he picks it up and he goes to turn the page and it just crumbles. And then just out of anger, he slams the entire shelf of books and it all just busts into yeah. dust. Oh, man. <laughs> that says so much. I mean, it's a powerful it scene. Is, yeah. But then the actual visual, the actual effects of it are also just yeah, incredible. Yeah, no, I, you kind of wonder uh, what exactly did they put together to to get that. Because, I mean, it's a it's a physical effect that today we would easily do that with, with some sort of CGI. But Exactly. Because, you know, and much like him developing his model and just sending it in the future, never to return again, <laughs> this is a one-and-done kind of thing. I, I, like, whoever set that up said, that's got to work, because there's mm -hmm. no second take after it goes <laughs> off. I either have to go right. and make a whole new whatever, right. or, or, or you got to get it this time, <laughs> so... You gotta love those. but that 
that is a great scene when he's holding that book and it, it the pages just crumble and the and the whole book just falls apart in his hands and he, he says that line he's like yes this this tells me a lot about your people <laughs> like oh <laughs> throwing a little shade from the time traveler yeah, quite. Uh, i mean but i mean that's where it, you try not to think about it too deep if you do start thinking about the mechanics of, of those societies how do they know what a book is but they haven't bothered to actually touch one they were just it was described to them by the rings sure perhaps there must be a <laughs> lot of damn rings <laughs> but yeah so they know what a book is but they don't bother to try to figure out what to do with them i do want to talk about uh, we've kind of been jumping around and we we've we've mentioned um the character george by rod taylor rod taylor was fantastic originally george powell was gonna look to have um a kind of well-known british actor like uh, like david niven or someone like that Uh, but but then he he decided on Rod Taylor, which would give it a kind of younger, more idealistic, and much more action orientated character. And I think that was a fantastic move. I I think this movie would be a little harder to swallow with someone like a, a, a Niven or someone like that in the role. Yeah, with an older older actor. Well, yeah, especially and even Rod's uh, character. He's almost a little too old for Yvette. <laughs> well, yeah, probably. Oh, yeah, Yvette. I think Yvette Mimo was probably whew, a teenager or a young 20-something, I think, at this right. point. So uh, he's clearly a decade or more her, her senior. So She was born in 42. Okay. So, yeah, there you go. So she was, what, 18 years old in 1960? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so if you had gone with like a a, a Niven, <laughs> that'd be a little too far a little out creepier. of here. If we're gonna try to create some sort of romantic interest, that now you're kind of yeah. stretching it. Yeah, Rod was about twelve years her senior. Yeah, so, I do think that his group of friends, though, sit as being a little odd with a younger lead. Um. I love all of them. Right. But they do seem to be a a little old all older than him and they just seem like they would be spinning in different circles than the young inventor chap. <laughs> of course we don't really know what he does for a living. We know he's an inventor, but we don't know if that's all he does or if he does anything at all. He could be independently wealthy. We don't know. Well, I mean, he he clearly has some sort of financial means since he has uh, he has his little estate and his housekeeper, and clearly doesn't seem to be wanting for much. Um, so I imagine right. he ends up in these circles because they're probably the elite of that of that mm-hmm. area. They all seem to be of an intellectual set as well, and that tends to as long as the Age doesn't seem to matter as much as long as you're all in the same sort of plane. It's true because yeah, they they appeared to be. I mean, Sebastian Cabot plays someone who was actually a doctor. He's credited as Doctor Hillier. Yeah. Uh, the others just have names. Uh, Whit Bissell is Walter Kemp, and I think um, Tom Helmore is uh, Anthony Bridewell. I think is his other friend. Yes. Uh, 
And then, of course, his best friend is played by Alan Young, who plays David Philby, as well as his son, James Philby. Really, this film, as much as I love all the time travel, I love all the visual effects and everything, I think Alan Young as George's um, really just awesome Mm -hmm. friend. Their relationship and his caring for his friend George and his concern for him, his love for him, comes through in this film. And that really kind of brings this film... That's another one of those... It's 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 another rung, mm-hmm. you know that that this film sits on. No, because uh, like getting back to the, the the stuff with the time machine, like when when David Philby is essentially explaining what just happened for the audience, but he's doing it, it he's doing it to the housekeeper, and he's doing it in an excited way because he is like genuinely thrilled for his friend for having the foresight to move the thing and what he was trying to do. If he is telling Mm -hmm. us even remotely the truth, he is about to go on an adventure that I only wish him well on. Um, So he was, the way that he was telling it, it was clearly, uh, I'm excited for this guy. I I, I Mm -hmm. want this to happen for him. I'll never see him again, but I want this for him. Well, and especially since that's coming after hearing the story, because before George goes on his adventure, David is very adamant that he shouldn't do right. this. He he tells him, if this can do what you say it can do, destroy right. it, because it's going to destroy you. Right. Uh, and he, he's emphatic about it. And, and that is, I mean, because like, but for the same reason, he loves his right. friend. And he wants what's best for him. And so after he tells the story and he realizes that it's all true and that he's going and doing exactly what he wanted to do, yeah, that that's why it, it changes. Yep. No, 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 that was a nice touch. That's all. And it's, you know, Alan Young, <laughs> voice of Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> <laughs> as, as well as a star of Mr. Ed. And yet here he is, 1960, being the the perfect best friend you gotta love the creativity and finding ways to inject him back in as he travels through time making him his own son um and then aging him uh, 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 and revisiting him literally at the moment of the apocalypse (laughs) did you happen to recognize his outfit he's the he's a member of like the civil defense or something like that and he's got a very particular uniform on did you recognize the I uniform? I didn't know why. The uniform is a reuse from Forbidden Planet. Oh, is it now? <laughs> it, it it had a quality about it, but it, I didn't put two and two together. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, apparently another, several props from Forbidden Planet shows up in the museum as well. Now... I think the like the control dome or something from the control center of the UFO of the uh, the UFO yeah. of the uh, the Forbidden Planet spaceship is actually in the background somewhere in the uh, museum. Interesting, that's cool. Nice little nod to the uh, <laughs> to the studio and to the Absolutely. other work. Uh, now here is one moment I guess uh, I could kind of make a criticism in just how they handled it. So George is present. For, for the initiation of the apocalypse to the point where yes. he watches a bomb go off 
and it incinerates <laughs> the town. But yet he is still on his grassy little knoll <laughs> watching lava start coming down the street. And at no point is his little area affected by any means. He is not in his machine. It is not moving through time at this point. He is just standing here yeah. watching. And I'm like, all right, that one hurts a little bit. <laughs> At least get back yeah. in the machine and crank it up a little so that you can... Yeah, I'm guessing there's probably some people in Japan, if they saw this film, that went, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, you went with everything else and so did your itty-bitty machine. Because <laughs> it was sitting still at the time. Oh, I, I do... <laughs> We don't know the mechanics of the machine in and of itself, but I had to laugh too. Uh, he kept he was talking as he traveled that he was learning how to how to work his machine. Um, that that the, the the moving speed it up, slow it down, speed it up, yep. slow it down, all that. Stop for a day or a few seconds, then go forward. Yep. Yeah, he he was mentioning all all of that, but then. It's a little unclear why uh, when he gets into the 800,000s, um, when he decides to come to a full and complete stop, but he does it quickly, that when he ratches it, that lever back, then all of a sudden it starts spinning like a top. <laughs> <laughs> and then it falls over. And like, you think if anything, it maybe would go on the horizontal <laughs> axis, not the, yeah. Yeah, so I'm like, okay, uh, I'm just going to let that go. <laughs> yep. I don't know why all of a sudden it physically starts moving when he comes to a complete stop, but whatever. It w it, w it was exciting. Sure. <laughs> it was fun. At and, then it, and then it rains dry ice on him. Sure. No one knows why. <laughs> it, it's like space rocks in, uh, in Star Trek. They're always built mm -hmm. in overheads. <laughs> yeah. No, so yeah, aside from a few criticism and a few honestly that are just kind of more criticisms for the humor of pointing them right. out than than true criticisms yeah of they the don't film. detract they <laughs> they just amuse. no other like i said other than the the whole hairstyle thing i think does kind of pull me out of the film for a few seconds for a few minutes there uh, everything else i'm willing i'm willing to go with the fat suited Morlocks I'm willing to go with the guy that's obviously wearing a burn suit you can you know when he gets when he's on fire yeah, I'm I'm willing to accept yeah. that I'm okay with all that it's it's only the hairstyle thing that really well it, really drags it, me it, out yeah and, and to that point like we were discussing all of these other they're tech they're they're technical issues uh limitations of the time of the storytelling and how they wanted to do it. It, it but they don't impact the story her going into what how do they wear their hair that that is an abrupt change in character that that came out of nowhere um when, when really it was an excuse will you touch me it's really what that was yeah because she pretty much asks him to well show me <laughs> Yeah. Meaning, get your ass over here and touch me. <laughs> but again, that also, at this point, probably a little too soon. Little, uh, It's out of character. They they are only just rediscovering 
um, try and do anything beyond eat, sleep, and yes. whatever. Well, you mentioned it earlier. So the film does ask, end with a question. David Philby brings up the very good point that it wouldn't be like him to go back without something. And that's actually a... Uh, I listened to um, another podcast. I went back and listened to um, Forgotten TV, who did a episode on 70s time travel. Okay. And he brought up the point that time travelers have a bad habit of going on their trips woefully unprepared. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they, you don't think to bring a sandwich, a flashlight, <laughs> you know... Our our H.G. Wells here in this story was traveling from 1899. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. the fact that he didn't have necessarily a whole lot to take with him is a little forgivable. (laughs) A little bit. You still think he would have packed himself a lunch. Perhaps, yes. (laughs) But anyway, uh, David points out he's talking to uh, Mrs. Watchit, the Mm -hmm. maid. What a great name. I know, right? (laughs) And, and asks if anything seems out of place. Is anything missing? And she points out that there appears to be three books missing from the shelf. And David says, well, that's, that's not important, but what books would you take? Right. And it's a great question. And you were telling me that you were looking online and that there's like Reddit threads or something full oh, of... Oh, yeah. You- all you have to do is, well, what three books would you take to the future? If you Google that, you will find page after page after page <laughs> uh, of people trying to answer what three books would they take to the future if they had to. All based on this this film and that question. And I can't think of another film where... where cause what what I think we can let on now, they don't answer. We don't know which three books Wells took with him. Mm-hmm. They leave that completely up in the air. I can't think of another film where they end on a note where they essentially go, well, what do you think? Right. And then leave it to the audience to discuss, literally, for the next 62 years. <laughs> well, I don't think there's many films that have this future True. you you have a future that is i mean he's kind of destroyed their society if you really want to get down to the brass tacks <laughs> he's destroyed a functioning society because it didn't fit his victorian ideals right yeah because uh, I, I wanted to get to that and i figured we would during this part of it but for better or worse, there's a focus in this one on the concept of war as well. Every mm-hmm. time he stops, any time we're talk, where he has a point in time where we visit with him in it, it is at a point of war, um, mm-hmm. whether whether real or otherwise. So he stops at World War One, finds out his buddy's dead. Uh, he stops at. World War Two at one point, didn't he? Or mm-hmm. he he just he didn't stop. He just he stopped long enough to know that they're bombing um, London. Um, yes, and then he picks back up, and now he's now he's in the '66, and we're projecting an apocalypse in 1966. But he is at what is essentially World War Three. Uh, from his perspective 
mm-hmm. and then he goes to the eight hundred thousands, a society that, while it doesn't fit our standards or certainly not his, it is peaceful. Whether you're creeped out by the fact that Morlocks eat Eloy, the Eloy have a pretty easy going life right up until the end. <laughs> they want for nothing. They have food, they have shelter, they have clothes. Right, they live in paradise. It's just when it ends, it ends abruptly and not very good. (laughs) But, and the Morlocks, for better or worse, they keep to themselves. They have no internal struggle that we're aware of. And they eat their food source. It happens to be the Eloy, but they eat their food Mm -hmm. source. Otherwise, you have two fully functioning societies working symbiotically whether they want to or not and since no one knows any different there is no struggle here Mm -hmm. so after being met in three different time periods by world wars he reintroduces war to a pair of people that knew no war yeah so for better or worse (laughs) he you're right you're absolutely right he's destroyed a society so we kind of already went down a rabbit trail and lost our uh, train of thought there a little bit. So do you have any ideas yourself about what books you would read? Uh, as I was reading and as I was thinking about it, especially since now you have essentially taken on the task of rebuilding a society. Uh, um, yes, yes. Yeah, this future. This is the future we're, join, we're going to. The future that he is now... You left these people where they are going to have to start fending for themselves. What do you take to help them? Right. Assuming that I have... Now, are we going from the perspective of what would we take from 1900 or what we would take, period? Oh, that's a very good point. Because, yeah, there's definitely different things available to us now that may not have been around in 1899 1900 and while we're 122 years from the time of this this film was supposed to represent mm-hmm. I, I was having an aside conversation with a friend uh, uh, last night about all of this and she was taking she was asking that very question and I go now granted from books you would have different books but what is essentially different in the past 122 years you could take different kinds of books but if you're taking books for this particular mission I don't know if what you what might be in the book might be different slightly but the same type of books might still hit your radar. Like, things I'm mm-hmm. thinking about is, like, I'd want, like, a Grey's Anatomy. Something about the physiology of people. So, they're not going to mm-hmm. know. Okay. And you don't have it down pat. So, right. take something along those lines. Um, take something with you, either engineering or agricultural. Something. You're right something that will at least provide the the basic uh like i actually pulled out and pointed out i have a pocket reference book that just has lots of lists of tables and 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 such that would help you figure out mathematics on certain things 
um, measurement kind of things. It even defines what measurements are so you could recreate them yourselves. Stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I could picture a version of that. And then, so those would be two that I'd want. And they're pretty timeless between 1900 and now. Um, they might be more up to date now than 1900, but I would take an equivalency mm -hmm. of those. But one that would match no matter what is if you had a a bound, complete works of Shakespeare. Interesting. Shakespeare pretty well covers most of what humanity is like in both good and bad. And, and if you can take that, and one is a reading primer, and as a, a philosophical tool, I think that would round things out nicely. That's a very interesting suggestion. One I would not have thought of myself, but yeah, that you're not bad because a I'm not a fan of reading Shakespeare. <laughs> right. I enjoy the plays. Sure. <laughs> I don't like reading no, Shakespeare. No, I, I, I hear you. But <laughs> but no, I understand you. This is you know this is bigger than me yes and, <laughs> and, and, and no because uh, while i was trying to think of things how, how do you want to impart uh morality uh psychology good and bad right and wrong um how can you do that and, and, and i apologize to those out there i don't think the bible's the way to go and a lot of people do think that if you do that is that is for you, and I do not disparage that. But that's not the way that I would go with this. I think there are other ways to do it. So, and I think Shakespeare is a way to do it. Yeah, very interesting. No, I like that. No, I think I would agree with you on on all counts. I don't know exactly what what edition or 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 what book titles or whatever. But yeah, something definitely science related. Uh, I don't think a book exists like our, our our hero in the last film had that you know there's an almanac and a how to build anything right. uh, <laughs> that fits in your pocket. Right. If, if um, one had that, that's the one I'd take. <laughs> my brain did go to a book I do have upstairs. It was a gift from my parents when I first bought a house, and it was kind of like you know how to fix anything sure. sort of thing, but. That's how to fix things that have already been established. I don't know if that would help you build anything. <laughs> yeah, see that that that's the struggle uh, is he's entering a time where there is some technology. It's mm -hmm. just not well cared for, and nobody knows how it works. So, except the Morlocks. Now the thing which which he destroyed. The thing our hero has on his side is this is the same man that built a time machine. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah. one thing would imagine he's probably capable of recreating at least most of what was established by 1899 in some capacity. Yeah. Yeah. This is a guy that could probably come up with a gas stove or a hot water heater or something. Or yeah. He'd at least understand the principles enough that he could probably get them to fashion these things together, assuming they even needed to get that far. I mean, 
clearly mm-hmm. wherever they were was a paradise unto itself. So without knowing more about what trials and tribulations lay ahead, I don't know what he has to plan for. But right. but they do. They are going to have to feed themselves. He needs some agriculture stuff. Uh, and then I think he can figure out most of the mechanics. But... Yeah, what do you what do you want to impart to what's essentially a child race? And I guess the advantage that he has over any it, it's not necessarily a one time trip. Mm-hmm. If you get there and you realize, ah, I really need something <laughs> to tell to teach me how to do this, oh, I'll just pop back and get it. Right, <laughs> right. And you don't need him to go back to nineteen hundred. You go, you know what? I bet you by 1950, they knew a lot about this kind of stuff. I'll go back then. Or even go back to, go back just like a hundred years. Yeah, you, you, I was waiting for you to catch up because whoever made the spinning discs, right. go back to their or the time. Giant, <laughs> or, or the giant domed uh, building that the Eloy were eating in. Right, like he... You know, someone had to construct all that stuff, but it wasn't always ruins <laughs> well yeah because uh, that was a uh, i did note that while while he was traveling through time and when he was finally deciding it was time to stop again you watched in the distance a city be created and mm-hmm. that's probably where the the spinning rings thing came from to begin with but he didn't stop there. He blew past that and waited till till everything's in ruin again. <laughs> right. So, yeah, he could back it up a, a hundred years or so and <laughs> and grab what he needs and pop forward and voila, we're all watching TV again. <laughs> like uh, like David said, he's got all the time in the right. world. But uh, that's what's truly fun about the three book question is. The machine didn't go away. <laughs> so, right. so I think when you ask that question, there's a finality to it. Like this is the uh, it's the what three things do you want on the desert island question is what it right. is. It, yeah. it presumes you'll never, ever, ever leave the island. So this is presuming he goes back and that's it. He's just stuck there and he's got a time machine. He's not stuck at all. Right. There's a good chance he's going to get bored and go, you know what? Screw you guys. Weena, hop on. We're out of here. <laughs> Let, let's nudge this further forward. Let's see if we can get to the space race again. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a fun film to watch anytime. Um, apparently, it was released on Blu-ray in 2014. Yeah. But as far as I can tell, it was really just kind of an upconvert from the DVD. Oh, was it? It, it, it was not it wasn't anything special. No, this isn't... I'm guessing nothing exists. There must not be any original negatives or or transfers that exist anymore. Because this needs, like, a Criterion-style um, attention. And the fact that it hasn't been done just... It boggles my mind. So there's got to be a reason. I... I, I guess, but uh, I, I gotta say, the the copy that we were watching was actually pretty solid. It's a all good the way DVD. Around. Oh no, it's a good DVD. It looks right. nice. It's just 
it just blows me away that this has not been treated. I mean, there are some trash movies <laughs> that have gotten the big 4K Blu-ray release. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but no time machine. Right. No. If, Why? Yeah, no, the, this is a... As we've established, this is the the time travel movie that sets the groundwork for all time travel movies to come. Well, that will end this show. This was a lot of fun to to talk about this film. I I I will talk about this film ad nauseum. Right. I mean, it's it's one of my favorites. It always has been. It's one of my dad's favorite films was one of the first films he introduced me to you know once i got old enough to pay attention through a whole movie kind of thing this was one of the movies that i was sat down in front of so it's always got a a a place in my heart no matter what so yeah always a thrill to talk about this Mm -hmm. one but that'll do it for this episode we'll be back in a couple weeks we'll find something else on our list we have not uh, figured out exactly what yet Thanks very much for listening, everybody. We'll be back in a couple weeks. Uh, Again, let us know your favorite time travel stories. We really want to hear. Uh, We'll talk to you soon. Bye, everybody. See you.